Today's scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have from him and to declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and the, do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you, and thank you, Carol, uh, for that scripture reading, and just thank you all to who have participated so far uh, in our worship service this morning. Uh, will you join me in prayer as we begin? God, we just pray to you uh, for this time. We pray that you would uh, reveal yourself to us, that we would encounter you, and that we would be drawn closer to you. We pray all these things in Christ's strong name. Amen. So friends, uh, recently I've been connecting with some fellow youth pastors here in the Metro Vancouver area, and we keep talking about the fear of the Lord. Now, if you've been in church a while, you've probably heard about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And in scripture, we see a repeated pattern when a person comes into contact with God, they are afraid. I think of Moses at the burning bush when he encounters God. He's afraid. Think of Isaiah, the prophet, who says, Woe is me when he envisions being in God's presence. Peter meets Jesus and tells Jesus to go away because he's not worthy to be in Christ's presence. All of these men are, are struck by fear when coming into God's presence. And you know, fear is an emotional response that we all experience. Some of us, uh, we have FOMO, a fear of missing out. Uh, some of us, we fear our dreams not coming true. Some of us, like me, uh, we're afraid of heights and snakes. Um, maybe you fear uncertainties and lack of control. Maybe you fear being in certain social, social situations. Some of us fear not being loved. We fear not being able to buy a house or provide for our families. We're all afraid of getting sick right now. We fear failure. Uh, I could go on for a while, and I'm sure you could probably fill in a blank. We fear or I fear. You fill it in. Fear is this ever-present reality in our lives, and it's a problem. And so the question is, what is the good news that God gives to us so that fear doesn't drive us in our decisions and in our life and in our faith? I'll say that again. What is the good news that God gives to us 
so that fear doesn't drive us in our decisions and in our faith and in our life. And my hope in prayer is that you come to see that Jesus doesn't leave me or you in fear, but instead he gives us faith, hope, and love to trust in God and in his purposes. So let's start looking at our text this morning. Verse five says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now this statement by way of implication reveals to us God's character. It tells us a bit about what God is like. So God is light tells us that God is full of splendor and glory, like these beautiful sunny days that we've had a few days ago. God is light tells us that God is self-revealing. God doesn't hide. God wants us to see him. He wants to show himself to the world. God is light tells us that God is the source of life. God is light tells us of the revealing quality of God, meaning that in God, our flaws that were hidden become known and are seen. God is light tells us that God is pure. No darkness impinges on God. And I think an example of this is from Lord of the Rings, Aragorn shares that, shares to the hobbits that Galadriel has no evil. She's incapable of evil. Only goodness and light indwell her. And if you remember the movie, she gives Frodo a gift and she says, may this be a light to you when all other lights go out. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. This reveals to us the God we worship. But unfortunately, our day-to-day living doesn't seem to always be connected to the light. In fact, the exact opposite of light is what I feel like I see and hear about. Recently, I've been hearing about shootings in Vancouver and in Coquitlam. I hear about greed driving decisions all over the world. Every day on the news, I get to hear about this bad thing and this scandal and this terrible atrocity. It seems like it won't ever stop. There's always another story of darkness. And and personally, I've just been feeling rather overwhelmed by the amount of darkness. And the reality of God being the light feels far off and distant. And we see in this text how our reality connects to this passage. Because after saying that God is the light, in him there is no darkness at all, John immediately tells us about the problem of sin. The power of sin is a real problem for everyone and everything. John explains this to his readers by sharing one lie that has three outcomes that are currently being believed in the church that John is writing to in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. And this lie continues on in a similar form today. And it centers around who we are and our nature. I'm going to read some verses for you. Verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. These three statements are all grounded in the lie if we don't think we sin. And I see this lie having three outcomes. First, 
if we don't think we sin, we don't live out the truth. Meaning that when we say we follow God and we follow Jesus, but then turn around and intentionally and actively pursue a life that is not in following God's commands, we're not living out the truth. We're not pursuing a relationship with God. In simple terms, we're lying. Second outcome, if we don't think we sin, we're just deceiving ourselves. We're going around acting like sin isn't a problem for us. We're fooling ourselves into thinking that somehow that we, that we are above the problem of sin. But unfortunately, sin is this ever-present power that we struggle against daily, and it never leaves us and our world entirely. Third outcome, if we don't think we sin, we make God a liar. Scripture is pretty clear, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if I say that I'm not a sinner, then by implication I'm saying that God is a liar. But that's not what Scripture tells us. It says that all have fallen into sin. Uh, this reminds me of a few weeks ago. Jen and I were playing, uh, were playing a game, and it was similar to the family feud. So you had to guess the number of people who said an answer, right? So the question was, uh, how many children lie? My guess, 95%. We will not tell you Jenna's answer, but one of us was right and the other one of us was wrong and Jenna was not wrong. So the answer is 100%. I hope you're lying at home at me. You're like, of course, Danny, of course it's 100%. How would you not say that all children lie? I'm hopeful, what can I say? I'm getting off topic, okay. Friends, that reveals to us the truth that we're all fallen. Sin is universal. No person escapes it. And everyone is involved in it. Sin is this ever-present power that impacts our daily life. And for some of you, you're like, I know. You know, maybe if you're on the cynical side, you're like, duh. But for others of us, there's a lot of guilt or shame that we have because of sin. And our past and current mistakes may feel overwhelming. It's easy to get stuck in guilt. Sin can be like, a wound that festers can be something that haunts you. But God doesn't leave us stuck in that hopeless reality. And this is the truth. This is the truth that I want you to believe this morning. And John says this to us in chapter 2. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Friends, the good news this morning is that there is hope, and our hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ, the righteous one who advocates to the Father for us and is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. And these two images of Jesus as our advocate and as the atoning sacrifice are the ones that I want us to focus on for the rest of our time. So I just want to talk about us seeing Jesus as the atoning sacrifice and advocate. And so for the rest of our time this morning, I want to talk about seeing Jesus as our advocate and the atoning sacrifice. First, Jesus as the atoning sacrifice. Uh, these past few weeks, I have been reading in the book of Leviticus, uh, it's a bit of a struggle, and if you've ever read Leviticus, you know why I'm saying that. And if you haven't, 
Go read it, and then you'll know why I'm saying that. Now, uh, the book of Leviticus has just brought home to me the reality of the amount of sacrifices that the Israelites did. It is truly, it's truly incredible. And it's so far removed from our time that it's actually hard for us to imagine. But the Jewish people were constantly making sacrifices to be clean. There was a day of atonement. They made sacrifices for particular sins. And all these sacrifices were a way to atone or to make right their broken relationship with God. Sacrifices were a way to make a person clean so they could enter into relationship with God and be in God's presence once again. Uh, This reminds me of, of when I was dating Jenna, there were a few instances where I needed to atone uh, for my mistakes. Uh, now, I had a bad habit of being late to pick up Jenna, and she's a very timely uh, Dutch lady. And so my tardiness would often lead to a break, not a breakup, a break in our relationship. So I would then make sacrifices, buy flowers, and do other nice things to try and restore this relationship. So you see how I'm trying to get at here. Now imagine this on a cosmic level with God. In order to be able to be in the presence of a righteous and just God in whom there is no darkness, you had to be made clean and righteous. And so the Israelites had had a fear of God because they recognized that they weren't righteous and holy enough to even be near God's presence. They didn't even want to approach God. And I actually think that sometimes we think that same way today. We're still trying to make atoning sacrifices to God. Our thinking goes something like, I'm sorry, God, I made a mistake. Please forgive me. And then I'm going to create a mental checklist of everything that I want to do to make it up to God. But since Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, No more sacrifices are needed. His sacrifice has paid the debt once and for all. It is finished. 1 John 1, 7 and 8 tells us that the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so because of Jesus, we are now brought into the light. We're welcomed into relationship with God. There is no need to fear God's holiness because Jesus sanctifies us. As one scholar puts it, Jesus is the person through whom guilt for past sin and defilement is taken away. He brings forgiveness for the sins which we have committed. And he clothes us with new purity in which our defilement is taken away. The great and simple truth is that through Jesus Christ, humanity's relationship with God is first restored and then maintained. In Ephesians 2.13, we read that you who were once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. There is a deep mystery here. Jesus' death covers all of our sins and all of the world's sins. As the song goes, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Friends, this is the gospel. God has provided the way for us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. 
he has conquered the power of sin in our lives and in the world. And through Jesus, we can now have light and joy in our lives because he has made it possible for us to be in relationship with God. And living in this relationship with God, it means that all the moments of darkness, all the guilt and shame that you may feel, they don't get the final word. It means that darkness doesn't win in the world because Jesus, the light, has sacrificed himself so that the whole world is saved from sin and death. Grace covers us and the world. And God wants for the whole world to see and to confess and to believe in Jesus as the atoning sacrifice. So that one day we can join with fellow believers in singing, Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. And raises life up from the dead. Second, seeing Jesus as our advocate. The word translated as advocate here is parakletos. And uh, parakletos in the New Testament is often used to refer uh, to the Holy Spirit. Or we think of someone who's like a counselor or helper. Uh, but in this text, it refers to Jesus. And it can also mean uh, someone who stands as a witness in our defense. But I want to invite you to take a moment now and to imagine seeing Jesus as our helper each and every day. I want you to picture that. Jesus helping you. Jesus is actively helping you get through this terrible, terrible pandemic season. Jesus is helping you with whatever you're facing in your work, in your relationships. Jesus is helping you with the grief you may be feeling. Jesus helps you with whatever fear is plaguing and paralyzing you. Seeing Jesus as our helper gives us hope because we can trust that he is present with us in all things, helping us to get through it. And as our advocate before the Father, Jesus is actively interceding to the Father on our behalf. And interceding is kind of a, it's pretty a loaded word, so I'm going to change it up. Jesus is praying to the Father for us. You know, being prayed for, praying for someone is a, is a deeply moving experience. When I was at UNC Chapel Hill, we used to do uh, soaking prayer nights and we would go to a church kind of like our old building there at First Baptist at Berard and Nelson, and we would go in there on Tuesday nights, all the lights would be off, and we would have a time of just praise songs being sung uh, and reading psalms, but it was pitch black. You couldn't see anyone. It was a deeply moving and formative time in my spiritual life of praying and encountering God. Another story of, of just prayer in my life is just before I moved up here to Vancouver in 2015 to come to Regent College, some of my friends and family and trusted mentors, they gathered around me and they, they laid hands on me and prayed over me, kind of sending me off before I came up here. And the words that they spoke or that were given to them to speak through the Holy Spirit were such a blessing and have stayed with me. And so I use these two examples, because I want you to picture that Jesus is praying to the Father right now on our behalf. He is praying for you. 
In John 17, we read a prayer by Jesus for his disciples. And in that prayer for them, he prays for protection. He prays for unity. He prays for their sanctification and that their love would grow. And that prayer isn't limited to them. It's for us today. Similarly, in Luke 22, 32, Jesus prays for Simon Peter's faith to not fail. And I trust, I trust that he is saying that prayer for each of his followers today. And so friends, I want to encourage you. Jesus, the Son of God, our helper, is praying to the Father right now for you and for me. He's praying for those in our community who are sick. He's praying for those who are scared. He's praying for those of us who are struggling with mental health and are depressed. Whatever fears, concerns, guilt, and hope you're carrying, Jesus knows, and he is praying to the Father for you. In closing, I started this morning talking about the fear of the Lord. Moses, Isaiah, Peter, and the early church in Acts had a rightful fear of the Lord because they saw God, they saw his power, and they were in awe. They were deeply aware of God's holiness, his righteousness, and their own sinfulness. But you know, it's easy to get caught up in our own lives and lose sight of God and lose sight of who Jesus is. And when we do that, we forget the truth that there is no darkness in God. And so without Jesus, we would be in some deep trouble in the presence of the light. We would actually be in a situation of terrible fear, for we would need to stand all alone before a holy God. But because of Jesus, fear is no longer the response to God's holiness. Instead of fear, we can revere him and be in awe, and we can be like the angels in Revelation who are glorifying and praising him before the throne. And so instead of fear, friends, we're called to faith. We're called to hope. We're called to love. I'll say that again. Instead of fear, we're called to faith, hope, and love. And so keep your eyes fixed on Jesus this week. Believe and have faith that he is helping us each day and that his sacrifice has taken away all our sin and shame. To end this message, I just want to share a few lyrics that sum up the good news of Jesus as the atoning sacrifice and our helper. They go like this. I'm no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. We've been liberated from our bondage. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I can stand and say, I am a child of God. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.